Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. We made it. We made it. It's, it's time for college football. It's time for Penn State football. Our beloved Nittany Lions are back this week, starting their season off against uh, Idaho. We don't know much about them. In fact, actually, we know one thing about them, and we will certainly get into that as this podcast goes along. That's just a little bit of a spoiler. Make sure you stick around for us reckoning with the fact that Iowa has a big old honking backup quarterback. Uh, joining me today, uh, Nick Polak. Nick, what's going on? Please don't ask me any questions about anything specific about Idaho. Oh, Thank yeah. You. Yeah. We're, th- this, if you are coming to this episode to learn about Idaho football, brothers, sister, you know as much as we do. So don't. Don't expect too terribly much. Uh, Actually, I can't. I can talk about one of their old logos, though. Uh, well, we will get to that momentarily. First, I want to introduce <laughs> Mr. Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? I can. I'd be happy to discuss one very specific thing about the <laughs> football program. <laughs> oh god! Yeah, we. So as we were researching this, we were made abreast of the fact that Idaho's backup QB is a is an outstanding young man by the name of Colton Richardson who stands six foot four, uh, weighs two hundred and eighty five pounds. He looks like he looks like a former Chicago Bulls center Luke Longley grew his hair out. I mean, he's he's fantastic, and hopefully uh, we see him in some capacity. Uh, but unfortunately, it looks like, and we say it maybe looks he like, plays the Vandal position. Perhaps he is their Vandal. He he is the Vandal to. Uh, uh, the memory of Tommy Stevens' lion. Uh, but unfortunately, it looks like we might have a nepotism at quarterback because their QB is named Mason Petrino. So, yeah, whatever. What a, what, we should uh, probably uh, mention first that their coach is Paul Petrino. Yes, their coach is uh, the other Petrino brother, which this is actually the one instance where being the other brother is not a bad thing. Uh, let's try and do a little bit of Penn State conversation here, uh, or at least try and we will see how many times we derail this talking about um, the hefty, it looks like he's a righty, the hefty righty. Uh, let's start. The mighty righty. The mighty righty, yes. He, uh, he is the mighty righty. We, if anyone says that on the broadcast, that will let us know that they listen to the podcast. So uh, no one's going to say it on the broadcast. So let's start, though. Actually getting into podcast stuff, uh, I think we've done some preview stuff. We've done the offense. We've done the defense. We've done uh, just kind of a general breakdown of the team this offseason. But I think that there's there's still so much we don't know about this team. It's it's fascinating heading into a season following a team where you – really don't know what the ceiling is going to be, what it's for is going to be, any of that. So, uh, Nick, I will start with you. As we enter this season, as we enter this uh, new chapter of Penn State football, what's kind of your biggest question mark heading into the 2019 campaign? Um, I feel like I have several questions, but, I mean, the, the big one would obviously obviously be about Sean Clifford, but we've we've talked about that a lot, so I'll go somewhere else. I'll say maybe my biggest question is what what can we expect of the offensive line? Because once Matt Limegrover came in, I think there was some clear improvement. Um, I believe was this first year, twenty sixteen. I believe yes. it was. Yeah, so the line played fairly well. I mean, that was kind of a combination of a few things: Brennan Mann getting older and better, being one of them, but. We, we the offensive line has kind of tapered, not tapered off, but they've plateaued since then. They just haven't really gotten any better. And this is the time now, whereas all the other positions on the field, you kind of see the efforts of James Franklin's recruiting and paying off a little earlier just because other skill positions, younger guys just have a chance to make an impact sooner. Um, and that's not to say that he hasn't had some of his recruits come through, like Ryan Bates and Connor McGovern. But... I think this is kind of the first year where we can really maybe not start judging his recruiting efforts on the, on the offensive line, but we can start kind of being more critical of them because at this point you'd hope that they would have found kind of the style of guy they're looking for on that line and some of their younger guys, their kind of second or third wave of recruits are now 
um, juniors and seniors. So for me, my one of my big questions is just is does this line have the capacity to be better than they've been? Or is what we've seen the last few years just kind of the limit to what they can do under Matt Limegrover? And if so, does that mean that it potentially they may have to look in another direction sometime soon? Matt, kind of the same question to you. I mean, I think you're probably a lot like Nick in that, you know, number one is Sean Clifford. Is, is that a safe assumption? Yeah, I think anyone we, we had on the site today, um, the the most important player, and I guess it's not exactly the same question, but 10 out of 10 responses were, were Sean Clifford. And I think anyone who's not using that as the biggest question as of August 29th, when you're all going to be listening to this, is just, you know, assuming that, that everyone kind of accepts that that's the biggest question. And I think that for most people, the offensive line is going to be the, the most significant non-Sean Clifford question. But I guess for me, I would just kind of say the offense as a whole. Um, you know, there were, in, in Ricky Ronnie's first year last year, it was just a matter of a lot of things just kind of seemed out of sync. The offensive line was inconsistent. Trace McSorley was battling who knows how many ailments that he was fighting through um, pretty much from the Ohio end of the Ohio State game on. Um, receivers couldn't catch the ball. It just, nothing really seemed to work with any level of, of confidence from week to week or even series to series. So I think for me, I'm looking to see how much in year two of Ricky Ronnie with Jared Parker now coaching wide receivers um, with a little bit more, I don't want to say continuity on the offensive line, but um, the some fresh blood might be a better way to put it. Um, with getting C.J. Holmes and Mike Miranda in there more routinely. Um, just kind of seeing how, how that all comes along. And the, there are certainly questions on the defensive side of the ball, but those questions are are minuscule compared to just the, the offense offensive performance as a whole and, and where things go with year two of Ricky Ronnie, with the new quarterback, and just kind of a, a fresh start on, on that side of the ball. Yeah, I, I think the defense, it's a very interesting talking point because I mean, both of you just spent some time talking about the offense, but so much of the conversation about the offense is whether or not it's going to be able to catch up to the defense. We think the defense has the potential to be a top five, a top ten unit, really, really, really high expectations. I don't think we've done too terribly much reckoning with, well, what happens if the defense doesn't do that? And this is this is a, admittedly a bit of a contrarian approach to this question because, again, it, Sean Clifford is number one, two, and three on this. But what happens, just hypothetically speaking, if the defense gets off to a slow start to the year, if it's not the uh, front-to-back dominant group that we kind of expect, I think that that seriously, seriously lowers the floor of what this team can accomplish. You know, we've talked over the past few weeks, the floor is basically determined by the defense. The ceiling is basically determined by the offense. If that defense is a step behind where we, or step or two behind where we think it's going to be, that offense needs to grow up a little bit quicker than we'd probably like it to. The good news is I think we can all kind of agree that's not the case, but... Since we all mentioned Sean Clifford, I do want to talk about him really quickly, and I think it's good to do some sort of expectation setting with the caveat that we can't we we can't completely say what we think he's going to be until we actually see him in action. I mean, the sample size, while as impressive of a sample size as a quarterback can theoretically, as impressive as a quarterback can play in the sample size of 5 for 7, 195 yards and two touchdowns, that's still not a lot of football. So, Matt, I'm going to start with you on this, then I'll go to Nick on it, but if you had to kind of set expectations on Sean Clifford, again, before we see him throw a pass, before we see how the offense looks like with him at the helm, what do you kind of think that they should be? Well, that's, that's, I guess, a hard question to answer without getting into, you know, are we talking about stats or he's talking about just like a 
a qualitative sort of assessment of them. Um, I think I've made no bones about it, you know, over the last couple of years, whenever he's come up, but I'm, I've been anxious to see what he can do in this offense um, really since he, he got to Penn State because what he ran at St. Xavier in Cincinnati is not, it's not a, you know, a one for one sort of comparison, but there's a lot of similarities and it was a little bit more advanced than your typical high school offense. And there were a lot of elements of, of the spread option, the, the RPOs, um, you know, the, the read option look. Um, so I, I think my expectations, and I think for the most part, just, you know, kind of gauging the fan base through social media and comments on the website and things like that are cautious optimism that, you know, I don't think anyone's expecting him to be, you know, five of seven, you know, for the rest of his career. But I think there's some, some optimism that he can be something kind of like that with, you know, adjusting for sample size as it were. Um, yeah. Health or knowing completions. <laughs> that that's, that's one way to look at what I said, but um, I, I guess there it's, it's, almost a two-part question because these first five games of the year are, I'm not going to call them layups, but Penn State should be 5-0 and heading into the Iowa game in early October. Um, and so I think my expectations probably are we see a little bit of improvement from him, whether that's, you know, accuracy with throws, whether that's reading the end on the, the, uh, the option play, whether that's, um, you know, not trying to force plays that aren't there. Um, so I guess over these first five games, you know, the, roughly the first half of the year, I'm just looking for him to, to, to see that progress week to week as he gets his feet under him, gets used to playing in front of the Beaver Stadium crowd for more than, than mop-up time. Um, you know, there's the road game in Maryland in there. So there's, there's a little bit of everything that you kind of want to see to get a first-time starting quarterback ready. And then starting with that Iowa game, you're you're expecting him, or I'm expecting him to to be capable of of running the offense, of um, you know, not having to win games on his own, but but being ready to to step in step up that level of competition. And um, you know, I don't I, I hate the term game manager because I don't think that's really what what this offense is predicated on. But understanding his role in the offense and and being ready to to you know, step into that spotlight as as the games get bigger and bigger in October and, and down the line. Yeah, I mean that for for me that's basically what it is. Like, does he grow throughout the season and is the Sean Clifford that we see how do I put this delicately? I expect against Idaho, against Buffalo, maybe even against Pitt and Maryland for Sean Clifford to make mistakes because he's a young quarterback. Young quarterbacks are going to inherently make some amounts of mistakes, whether they're catastrophic ones like throwing interceptions, um, you know, fumbling the ball, messing up a handoff on an RPO. Like whether it's something like that or whether it's something as simple as doesn't make a great check at the line of scrimmage, uh, doesn't progress through his reads too terribly well, uh, tries to make a great play at the expense of a good play and that leads to the offense, you know, failing to convert a third down, that sort of thing. He's going to make those mistakes in the first couple of games of the year. It's just human nature. That's, it's just something that every quarterback does. For me, my expectation is that as the season goes along, you know, they get, they play that pit game. They have a bye week. He has a chance to sit back and learn before he gets into Maryland he uses the Maryland and Purdue games to do a little bit more growth. And then he basically, for this team to reach its potential, he has to be ready to rock October 12th, walking into Kinnick, knowing that Michigan is the week after and a trip to Michigan State is the week after that. If he is able, if the Sean Clifford that we see then is not the Sean Clifford we see at the beginning of the year in terms of doing stuff that a first-time starter does, I, I forget who mentioned, it might have been Sean Fitz who mentioned this, Trace McSorley, when he was a first-time starter, even he, it took him a little bit to get up to the speed of the game, to get used to his teammates, get used to reading defenses, playing at that speed, all that stuff. Once he's able to get past that, this offense is able to get to its ceiling, and my expectation is that 
he is eventually able to get past that, and he is able to grow and take positive, progressive steps forward over the first five or six games of the season heading into uh, really the teeth of this schedule. And Nick, uh, what do you think about this? I, I actually want to see some mistakes from Clifford during these first two weeks because the sooner you make a mistake, the sooner you have a chance to learn how to fix it. Um, so I, I would actually not mind seeing seeing the offense have a miscommunication here and there because it, it, it'll just identify things that much sooner. Now I'm not saying that I want I don't, I'm not saying I want like a nail biter against Idaho or anything, but I, making those types of mistakes is not a bad thing for a young offense because it kind of narrows down what they really need to work on for the for the games after that and for the future going forward. Um, but I think for me, aside from that, I just want to see, I want to see Clifford. I want to see him go through some progressions as a passer. I want to see him make better and better decisions as these first couple of weeks go on, uh, because that's the thing that really, if if you think, go back and find Joe Moorhead quotes and James Franklin quotes about it, they said that that was kind of the key for Trace McSorley. Once once that Minnesota game rolled around, that's when things started clicking as far as knowing what reads to make and when. So I think it's unrealistic to expect Clifford to be able to make those reads right away. But if he can just do a little more and improve a little bit each week, then I, th- I think that, I mean, the schedule does set up really nicely to allow him to do that. Yeah, going to Maryland on Friday is kind of weird, but like you said, there's a bye before it, so it gives you a little more time to prepare uh, Purdue is probably not going to be as good as they were last year, so that shouldn't be too daunting of a task. Um, and then you have to go into Kinnick. So it's, I think it sets up nicely for him to be able to ease himself in. Yeah, I mean, that all sounds about right. He's, it, it would be really foolish to think that he's going to get through this first month of the season completely scot-free, I think. And if he can – I mean, if he basically uses those as learning experiences, what's the old saying about uh, relief pitchers? They have to have short memories. Well, quarterbacks have to have short memories too. And if he is able to have a short memory after the, after whatever mistake might pop up, he's going to be fine. I mean, like Matt likes to mention, it's hard not to – be high on both the talent and the polish that Clifford has at such a young age, uh, along with the fact that he really just seems like someone that this team has gravitated around. He seems like a really, really good leader in that locker room, in that huddle. And if it all works out, who knows what this team can accomplish? And that starts with um, a Saturday afternoon. August 31st on the Big Ten Network at 3.30 p.m. Our beloved Nittany Lions play host to the FCS Idaho Vandals. Um, hopefully, Yeah. Play, yeah. I, I mean, there's not... High energy. Hopefully Colton Richardson plays. Uh, they're 6'4", 285-pound backup quarterback. Um, fun little piece of trivia, guys. How Idaho... Had a how many first team all Big Sky selections last year, and B what positions? I already told you I only know one thing about Idaho, and we, we've discussed Colton Richardson already, so I'm out. <laughs> well, Petrino's a new a new starter, right? I think. Or he did start- he start last year? Also? I think he started last year. Oh, okay. Um. All right, I'll I'll say, I'll say they had. Three, I feel like I remember Idaho not being horrific. I don't know. I'm gonna say. Oh wait, no, no, they were definitely bad. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna guess three. You were I'm correct. Guess, oh, okay. I'm gonna guess they had one of them was a mm, receiver. Incorrect. All right, um, a corner. Also incorrect. Okay, 0 for 2. And a defensive end. Uh, half credit, outside linebacker. An outside linebacker okay. who uh, has since graduated a guard uh, 
who is entering their senior year. And most importantly, their sophomore year punter was the first team all big sky punter. So we could get some good kicking in this one. Um, hold on. Let me do a very quick search of their roster to make sure Mr. Caught. Yep. Cade coffee is back and he Cade coffee. That, that's a really good FCS name. Cade He's... coffee. First 10 big sky punter. That that whoa is, uh, he was if we had done an all big sky name team uh that would have definitely made it that he would be our, our well, first team punter well well, well he was their punter and kicker uh stats LLC All America second team punter uh Phil Steele All America third team punter uh let's see average oh, so forty four really po- good <laughs> fifth in FCS in yards per punt he made uh eight of eleven field goals thirty four thirty six. PATs. Um, holy hell, he booted an 80 yard punt last year. Uh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna do good in the field position game, it appears. Um, but that's uh, the extent of the analysis you're going to hear out of us out of Idaho. Let's talk Penn State. Uh, starting with the offense, I, I think we kind of touched on this a bit with Clifford, so I think it's probably safe to uh, say Sean Clifford's off limits on this, but Nick, what is the biggest thing that you're looking for out of Penn State's offense as it kicks off this uh, its season against Idaho? I would like to see some receivers catch the football. Personally, uh, I may be alone in that, but yeah, I would like I would like to see. I'm I'm more just curious to see the receivers. I'm curious to see what Justin Shorter looks like. I'm curious to see how they deploy KJ Hamler. Um, I'm interested in the running backs as well, obviously, just because it's a quad starter they have there. But I'm I'm interested in just seeing the dynamic of at least the starting three receivers with shorter Dotson and Hamler. I mean, I'm I'm interested in seeing how and when they get Hip and Hammer and George, um, and maybe uh, Chisena in the game also. But um, Really, those three are the the ones I'm looking forward to because I I I can't do another season where they drop as many passes as they did last year. I just can't do it. Uh, Matt, same question to you. Uh, I too would like to see the wide receivers catch the football with some level of consistency. So uh, Nick and I are I'm glad we agree. Two two definites that are on board with that. Uh, so that's two of of a lot. Um, I kind of answered it, I guess, when we were talking about the biggest question, just the offense in general. But um, this is really the first chance that the the offensive line is going to have to really um, deliver on some of this hype that that we've had for really a couple of years going now. Um, I actually saw something on on Twitter today. I think it was from our, one of our friends over at the uh, the Go Iowa Awesome site that was um, just sharing the average star rankings of. Um, the top X number of players on depth charts at various positions. And I want to say Penn state was four or five on offensive line with the top eight offensive linemen on the depth chart, which is really quite astounding that Penn state's recruited at that high level at the offensive line and has for the most part struggled to, to gain any sort of consistency there. So you would think that going up against an FCS team that, they're going to want to kind of establish themselves, build some confidence early on. So I guess as far as, you know, other than the obvious, you know, Sean Clifford related things and, and the wide receiver play in general, just the offensive line, um, you know, asserting itself like you would expect them to do in a game like this. I'm going to kind of go in a different direction. And this is because I actually believe it, not because I'm trying to be a contrarian. Uh, I want to see how the running back carries are to beat up. I think that this running back group really has, uh, the potential to be special. I mean, like Nick mentioned, um, Ricky Slade, Journey Brown, Noah Kane, Devin Ford were listed as um, there were a bunch of ors in there. Uh, it seems like Penn State this year really believes that it has four running backs who, I don't know if it's situationally, I don't know if it's in general, can really contribute and help this team. And I want to see. I want to see how these carries are broken down. I want to see if uh, they're going to lean on 
uh, Noah Kane in short yardage situations. If they're going to have Journey Brown, try and be the home run guy. If Ricky Slade is the first, second down guy. When Devin Fort, like just all these things, how they're moved around within the offense, if any, any of them line up at receivers, stuff like that. There's just so much potential in this running back core, and I would not be, uh, I would not be opposed to seeing some of it get, um, get flaunted during this first game of the year, and for us to get just kind of a little bit of a look into how that running back rotation could potentially work as the year goes on. Moving to defense, uh, kind of the same question, and uh, Matt, we'll start with you. What is the biggest thing that you are looking for as uh, as we get into this game? Um, I guess kind of playing off, off the running back th- uh, depth chart rotation that you mentioned there, Bill, is how snaps are kind of divvied up, especially at defensive tackle, but really, um, other than cornerback all across the defense, you've got um, you know probably four or five guys at defensive tackle that, um, from all accounts, the coaching staff is, is trusts and is expecting to play. You probably can go five, maybe six deep at defensive end with Adisa Isaac um, expected to, to burn a red shirt this year. Um, the linebacker rotation, um, it'll be a little interesting with Jesse Lukita apparently getting the start in place of Cam Brown, who's suspended. Yeah. But, but you know you're going to see a lot of guys at, at linebacker play. And really you're going to see, I think, four guys at safety play between Garrett Taylor and Lamont Wade starting and then Jaquan Brisker and uh, Jonathan Sutherland also as well. So I think because of the nature of, of the opening opponent, you're going to get a chance to see a lot of those guys play. And so it might be a little difficult to ascertain any sort of real, you know, rotation desire for the season based on, on the level of competition. But I think you're going to get a feel at least early on kind of how they, they envision things going and just the, the first opportunity for the coaching staff to get these guys out there against someone that's wearing a different uniform to just kind of see how guys perform and what combinations work, which combinations don't um, just kind of the, the, the amount of strategy that's going to go into how snaps are divided up and, and who looks good with who and who excels in certain situations and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, as I, I'm glad you mentioned the freshmen because uh, the green white, for freshmen on defense, Brandon Smith, Lance Dixon, uh, Adisa Isaac, Keaton Ellis, uh, Green Lights on offense, Noah Kane, Devin Ford, Caden Wallace. I really, I, I think of all of those, Kane and Ford are probably the guys that there's the easiest pathway to them playing just because out of necessity. But there are four freshmen on the defense who legitimately seem like they can earn time based on merit and not necessarily because the position that, you know, the positions are just so sorry for talent. They're just that good. Uh, the guy that I'm looking at when I'm looking through this too deep, I'm really interested in Jesse Lukita getting, uh, getting that start. I want to see what he can do. If an outside linebacker role is his best one, or if that would be a middle linebacker role, what happens when Cam Brown gets back? Because I think we have a lot of known commodities all over the defense. But he's the guy, as I look through the two deep, and I see um, him and Jason Owe. I look through the two deep, and I see all these really talented dudes, and I look at where are the second-team guys that I think can overtake the first-team guys. And I think he's someone who I just really, really believe in that just has the talent to contribute. And I think we have the potential to see that against Idaho, especially if he has a really good first half, then Cam Brown ends up coming back in and they decide they want to see what they have in him in another position. Uh, Nick, uh, heading over to you, defense, what's the biggest thing you're looking for in this one? Well, I was going to say Jason Owe. Um, Well, mostly because no one else had mentioned him yet, but yeah, I, I, I would agree with Jesse Lakita. I think, it's it's always been interesting to me that he has been slated at outside linebacker because it seemed like he was kind of destined for the middle. But then again, that's what we said about Brandon Smith as well, and he's been put on the outside at least up to this point. Um, so I agree. I, I'm really interested, really interested to see what he can do with that starting position, even if it only lasts a half. Um, I agree with you. I think that the staff will probably try to do 
as much as they can to kind of put him in positions of, I don't want to say positions of stress, but really give him the opportunity to show what he can do. And, I mean, Cam Brown's a senior. Jan Johnson's a senior. They're going to need guys to step up at linebacker next year. They'll have Parsons back, but they're going to need guys to step up. And Lukita is one of the one of the guys expected to be really fighting for time. So I'm just really interested to see how he performs. And even if it ends up, if he plays well, I mean, does that mean that they give him time over Cam Brown? Or do they give him a chance to work a little bit in the middle and to try to take away some playing time from Jan Johnson? So... I've, he's he's the big one for me that I'm watching for. I'm also interested in watching Keaton Ellis. Um, I'm hope I'm hopeful that he gets in there at cornerback. Uh, Donovan Johnson suspended for the first game, so I'm really just the young guys in general. It's the same thing every year. These non-conference games early on, yeah, it's a chance for the starters to get their feet wet and get back in the rhythm and find their consistency. But it's also the best chance that we have to see some of these young guys. And I know Franklin's come out and said they're gonna go about this four-game redshirt a little bit differently this year, but I still would expect to see a good number of them. And he came out and said the seven that list of seven guys that are expected to play on Saturday. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching those young guys um, work, in particular, O.A., Lukita, and Ellis. Last thing we're going to do with this game uh, before we go to any sort of prediction is special teams because, you know, we didn't do a dedicated podcast to that like we did the offense and the defense. Um, I'll start on this one. I think that Penn State is going to be kicking off a lot in this game. And by all accounts, uh, Jordan Stout has a, a, a radioactive leg that is just capable of booting balls out of the back of the end zone and stuff. And I'm excited to see what he does because while I think Rafael Cech did a pretty good job with it, all things considered last year when he made mistakes, they were usually mistakes that ended up being really costly. Uh, you know, it's kicking the ball out of bounds, giving a defense really advantageous field position. It doesn't, it seems like Stout's the kind of guy you don't have to worry about that with because of what he, you know, how he's able to just really, really boot the football. Uh, Nick, uh, same question to you. Special teams, what are you looking for? I would I would love to see Idaho try an onside kick and we successfully oh. recover it. Oh, <laughs> oh um, God. I, I, I think, I don't know if I'm looking for anything. I mean, I'd like, I'd like to see Jake Penninger put a couple field goals through, but I'd also prefer uh, no field goals. I prefer all touchdowns, so hard to say. But but I think that aside from that, uh, I don't know. I, I'd like to see Micah Parsons get a chance on a kick return deep. But more than anything, I, I think just a, a mistake-free a mistake free game from the special teams unit would be very welcome. Matt, to you. I, I want the special teams to not be terrible. <laughs> Thank that, you, Phil that is my, my biggest thing to look for this weekend. No, I think um, I, we laugh about it, but special teams cost Penn State in three of the four losses last year to varying degrees. You know, two of them in a big way, and a third in a, a, a not insignificant way with a missed field goal against Ohio State. So, um you know, in, in close games down the road, that's that's a huge part of the game that can make a difference. But from a, a specific standpoint, you know, you know, even last year against App State, you know, the opening kickoff um, goes back for a touchdown, and Penn State's down seven nothing, fifteen seconds into the game, and then the onside kick recovery. So just getting off on the right foot, and and like Nick said, mistake free, executing the way they're supposed to. Um, you know, hopefully there's not a whole lot of chances to to cover kickoffs because um, they're going out of the end zone and punts because we're just not punting. Um, on the odd chance that we do do see a punt, I want to see Blake Gillikin hit one about 80 yards just because 80-yard <laughs> punts are awesome. And, and and Blake struggled a little bit last year. I think he would he admitted as much dealing with some some nagging injuries and things like that. So um, This is Blake's revenge tour. Blake is going to average 45 yards per punt. That's my bold prediction. Over. I... I, I do want to see. I do want to see if Jake Pinnock, because there was that one like reported thing where 
it wasn't until Joe Ward got in and like looked at where Jake Pinniger was kicking his field goals that they went, oh my God, like three quarters of your field goal misses came from the same hash mark. That That is probably a trend that we should look towards improving on. So I do want to see if he gets a if he gets a shot from one of those, whichever hash mark it was. And then, of course, anytime KJ Hamler gets uh, gets the football with 30 yards of space in front of him, I'm generally excited about what's about to happen. So uh, kick returns and punts could be fun with him. Uh, I think before we get to a prediction, it's time for a quick round of trivia. Ooh. Idaho okay. is an FCS opponent. When was the last time Penn State started the season with a game against an FCS opponent? What was the final score? And how many passing yards did Penn State's top quarterback end with in that game? Hmm. Was it Youngstown State? Matt is incorrect. Shocking. Nick, can you... Can you... Can you give me a range? Give me like a general range of how many years ago it was. Enough. <laughs> um, ugh. I feel like we play. <laughs> I feel like every year before the last three, we've opened the season against Eastern Michigan every year. Ooh, incorrect. The answer: 2011, Penn State hosted Indiana State and won 41 to seven. How many passing yards? I do not remember that at all. Well, you see, Nick, some other things happened during the 2011 season well, that attracted yeah, our attention. I get, I get so, that. <laughs> so, Penn State's top quarterback in that game, one Matthew McGloin. How many passing yeah. yards did he have? I'm going to say like 182. Okay. Matt? Uh, I will say 163. 77. <laughs> <laughs> he, he threw eight passes, so it makes sense, but... How, how did our guy Rob Bolden do on, on that, that Saturday <laughs> afternoon? Six for 12, 37 yards. Yes! <laughs> uh, the top running back for Penn State was Silas Red. 12 carries, 104 yards, two touchdowns. The There were three other... Oh, my sweet death. There were three other touch, rushing touchdowns. Don't say who scored a... Um, okay. Three. All right. 2011... Silas Red. So one would have been Stefan Green? Incorrect. What? All right. Um that's that's too oh, um that's too uh, early for Zwinnick, isn't it? Didn't, didn't we have a Sui Sui running as Joe, a fullback back Joe Sui, oh, Joe Sui Joe Sui one of them. Uh Zach Zwinnick had one carry for one yard, so no. Yeah, he, he wasn't really a part of the offense yeah. yet. Um Oh I'm really surprised Stefan Green isn't one. Oh, you are, Nick, you are going to scream when I tell you who had one of them. Oh, no. Uh, um. <laughs> oh, wait, Davon Smith. No. Uh. All right, I give up. Moo Moo was my best guess. Uh, Michael Zordish had one. You guys probably should have gotten him. Oh. And the other one, one carry, three yards, one score. For Shane McGregor. <laughs> yes! Yes! Oh! Uh, oh! I'm really disappointed in myself. Uh, so I think uh, it's time for predictions. I, Penn State, I think... Real quick, since you mentioned Shane McGregor, do you... What, do you think that... I, so, little background. I own a signed Shane McGregor framed photo and also a large signed Rob Bolden photo. Do you think there is anybody else in the world, no. aside, aside from people who sell them, that owns those two items? Absolutely not. I don't think anyone even sells those. <laughs> you, you are you are one of of a of several billion on that one, dear Nick. <laughs> so prediction: uh, Last year, Penn State season opener. Uh, don't have to remind anyone, 48-35 in overtime against Appalachian State. I think we are all in agreement. It is not going to be anything quite like that. Uh, this seems like Penn State, if all It'll goes... double right. overtime. Oh, God. If all goes right, the backups are in at the start of the third quarter. Um, I think this one... It, 
because you want to respect the opponent, but I also think that we've seen that. No, this is this is a petty James Franklin year. I was going to say, like, I was about to compare this to the Georgia State game two years ago, where it was fifty-six to nothing, and James Franklin iced the kicker on the final possession of the game, like something like that. I mean, they started that year with the fifty-two to nothing win over Akron. They had Georgia State; they won fifty-six to nothing. I have to think there's going to be something in that something hey, in that ballpark. If you if you come in and play a night game, you get the night game experience. Well, this is a three thirty kick. I know. I'm talking about the Georgia State game. Yeah, that's true. Do so we have a spread on this? Forty. I, I know that's not normal. Forty. Oh lord. Yeah, it's it's available on select online gaming platforms if you choose to uh, to pursue such such activities. And if you have a VPN that says that you live in Antigua. <laughs> Or Jersey. Or New Jersey. (laughs) God bless the motherland. Uh, Well, if no one's going to make a choice, I will go first. I will say 52-3 to Penn State. I think think James will attempt to ice the kicker late, but it will be unsuccessful. uh, Who is our our hero? Our our first team all-big sky uh, punter? Uh, Something coffee, right? Something, Something like that, yeah. Cade coffee? Yeah, yeah, him. He, he's gonna he's gonna kick a late we field are, goal to we are to get over on, on Petty man, James Franklin Ida. icing him with like thirty five seconds left to try and preserve the shutout. Ugh. God, that I I don't want to have to deal with the reaction if that happens. But yeah, something I like vote, that. I vote shutout. I'll say um, 50, 50, 55 zip. Micah I, Parsons has three pick sixes. I, I will say 55-6. to six. I'll give them a pair of field goals. Boys, it's time. Let's talk Big Ten. I am not up to date on anything because my brain has been in basketball mode, but I can already tell you we're going to be playing the ticket price game one time during this. So, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll, well, we'll play it twice. Uh, first up, South Dakota State against Minnesota. A lot of hype. Can uh, we say what time mm, these games are so I know? Sure. Uh, a lot of hype around Minnesota this year. Thursday, 9 p.m. FS1. That's uh, that's six oh. o'clock for you, Nick. Yes. Las Vegas has Minnesota winning. Uh, well, spreads at 13 and a half over under of 56. So, I mean, it seems like Minnesota is probably a pretty comfortable favorite there. Do you, any, either of you have anything that you want to say about this football game? Is their quarterback still Zach Anikstad? Yeah, I believe so. I did. He... I saw that they have another Anikstad now too. There's two of them. Well, the thing is, Zach Anikstad, I he did get a foot injury. I did remember that happening. I don't know if he's going to be good to go in their uh for their opener. But all it... I can think of when I hear his name is the solid verbal joke on the corner of first and Anikstad. <laughs> uh. Yeah, is he is he gonna play? Is he healthy? I don't know. Is he he's the kid who his yeah he was a walk on because like his family is rich or something like that. Uh, yeah, and they what they lost like didn't they lose like three quarterbacks before the season started last year? Something like that. Some yeah, it was something. And like and that. he split time with a guy last. Year. It's uh, PJ Flex doing all sorts of weird sort of voodoo sort of things up there in, in Minneapolis. But it's funny because like. There's hype around them, one, beating Penn State this year, and two, potentially like winning the Big Ten West if some things go right. Phil Steele has them tied for fourth uh, in the, con- in the uh, Big Ten West. So I think it's just a, like Penn State's they're probably going to be good at some point type thing. Yeah, and P.J. Fleck is... You know, for all his weirdness, he is a good football coach. So, we'll, uh, well, and they they closed the year okay last year. They had that huge blowout win over Purdue, who was coming off the Ohio State win. And I don't know. I'm, I'm moderately curious to see what they look like as a football team tomorrow night. Yeah, sure. All right, Minnesota's going to win. Let's all right, on. on to Friday, 7 p.m. Kick FS1, Michigan State. Hosting Tulsa uh, over under a four. Oh, this is gross. Over under a forty-eight. Michigan State's a twenty-three and a half point favorite. So, 
Ugh. Michigan wins twenty four nothing. Yeah, twenty four. They're yeah. No, they're going. It's going to be a twenty three nothing. They're not going to be able to cover the spread. Michigan State just I assume is really hoping that this doesn't go like last year's season opener where they were probably pretty lucky to beat Utah State mm-hmm. on uh, on their opening Friday night. So uh, that those are my that's my thoughts. Yeah, and Michigan State's also in a bit of a weird place where they went seven and five last year, and you know outside of that one really fluky win against Penn State, uh, there were you know what. Last year's Michigan State team was basically every Northwestern year where they win they go seven and five and they get one really fluky win and they don't like get their asses kicked in any games, but they had you know, they had no chance against Ohio State, they had no chance against Michigan. It's just one of those really gross years. Felton Davis is now gone and buried and we'll never have to see him again. LJ Scott is gone. Like Brian Lewerke might not be that great, so they're Whatever. Uh, Michigan State's going to win that game. 7 p.m. ESPN, Wisconsin at South Florida. Wisconsin 12.5 point favorites over under 59.5. Wisconsin's going to be good. South Florida is South Florida. Charlie Strong is uh, a lovely man, and I wish him all the best. Do either of you have anything that you would like to say about this game? It's going to be close. Wisconsin's not as good as people say. That's my... My two cents. I wonder if Jonathan Taylor can get can hit eight hundred career carries in this game. <laughs> All in this game, he will just carry the ball eight hundred <laughs> times. Just this in this game, <laughs> oh, I forgot Blake Barnett's at uh, at USF. Go, Bulls on parade, baby. Uh, two more games on uh, Friday night, seven fifteen BTN. UMass Rutgers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no Ru- thoughts. Rutgers, Next. Rutgers yep, is, move on. Wait, Rutgers 16 point, somewhere between 15 and a half and the 16 and a half point favorite over under Throw it uh, 55. All on yeah, if they're all on UMass, uh, we're believers. 9.30 CBS Sports. Purdue has to go to Nevada. Purdue 11 point favorite over under 58 and a half. I'm skeptical of Purdue this year. I think they're going to be a very, very good football team. Uh, I think they're just one of those teams that's going to have a bit of a step back, like a bit of a step back, new quarterback, two new running backs, uh, top wide receivers gone, younger offensive line. Nobody's going to really be surprised by Rondale Moore this year. There's a whole year of tape on him. I think he's going to put up very similar numbers. He's going to be really good. He won't, he will be considered a bit of a disappointment this year. And that really stinks because he's good. Having said that, we all agree that Purdue wins, correct? Yeah, sure. Cool. Saturday, noon kick on Fox, Florida Atlantic against Ohio State. Ohio State by 27 and a half, uh, over under 64 and a half. I think Ohio State probably tries to win this game 70 to nothing. Do we agree? Yep. Yep. I hope Lane Kiffin does something amazing. Oh, he's going to do something real messy. It's going to be great. 12 o'clock ESPN, South Alabama, Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska 36 and a half point favorites, over under 66.5. I don't know why Nebraska is even playing a single game this year. Uh, they have won the Big Ten. We do not need to even play any football. Uh, I think if they win this one, they actually do win the Big Ten. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a clinching game, I believe. Good, because we don't have to waste any of our time. I, I I read the internet. I know how this works. Nebraska is the best team in college football. We'll just we'll just accept it. And when they end up going 6-6, six and six, listen, it's your fault for believing, not in anyone else's. Uh, it's time. Let's play the ticket price game. Noon yes. kicks, BTN, at Maryland Stadium in College Park, Maryland. The Terps are hosting Howard University. Matt, what is the cheapest ticket for this game? I don't know how low StubHub lets you get anymore, but this can't be more than like $6. $6? Uh, Nick? ESPN, ESPN uses StubHub prices, right? Correct. Uh, I'll say four. Two dollars. <laughs> go, go, go oh. Terps. Welcome to the, the Mike Loxley era. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, 
We'll give Maryland this 29.5 point favorites over under 65.5. Josh Jackson, Virginia Tech quarterback, which Virginia Tech transfer was just named their quarterback. Um, best of I'm luck. very curious to see him. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a good football player, and uh, best of luck to him because playing quarterback for Maryland is. Um, <clears throat> moving on, uh, noon kick BTN uh, at Champaign, Illinois is the team that starts its season with Akron. Uh, Illinois 18 point favorite over under 61. Uh, we'll do the ticket price game here, even though it's not as fun. Uh, Nick, you go first this time. You said it's not as fun, so I'm going to guess like 14. Okay, Matt. I'll say I'll say nine six. <laughs> um, I hope Lovey Smith has a job after this year because I think that I think Illinois could probably be good. Um, They've gotten better. They've gotten better. Lovey Smith's beard better have a job. I I, I hope <laughs> Lovey does too because he seems like a nice guy. But that beard cannot leave leave the public light. Yeah, Listen, I, he, he agreed to go to Illinois. Yeah, like, he's Lovey Smith, and he agreed to go to Illinois. I don't. I, I feel like you just kind of gotta let him go as long as he wants to go there. Yeah, if he's if he's willing, if he's willing to like do the nine to five thing and like act, you know, get out and recruit and do all that, you you can't fire him. So we're all on board, Team Lovey. Uh, I have one more quick ahead. thing to add on this uh, in honor of our dear friend Spencer Hall. Uh, tweeted this earlier today. Completely out of context, but I want to see Lovey Smith fight a kangaroo. <laughs> I've had that visual in my head on and off all day, and it's fascinating. So uh, you all get to join in that fun now. I don't think a man named Lovey can be a fighter, but neither here nor there. Uh, noon kick, CBS Sports. This game is at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, Indiana against Ball State. Uh, the Hoosiers, 17-point favorites over under 59 and a half. Uh, I know our pals over at Crimson Quarry are all uh, hyped up about nine win Indiana this year, uh, so I expect Ball State <laughs> to win this game. I know absolutely nothing about Indiana because our dear friend Xander is no longer there and hasn't been, but I have literally no idea what, what the Hoosiers are supposed to be as far as football this year. They, I will give them this, uh, and you know a lot of people made jokes about this because of his last name, but... They uh, named really talented youngster Mike Penix their starting QB. Um, he is a young man out of Florida. If you remember correctly, his last game last year was against Penn State. Uh, he ended up suffering a knee injury. He's coming back. I like him a lot. I like him. I think that their ceiling is higher uh, than it is with Peyton Ramsey at quarterback. They have a really, really good young physical running back named Stevie Scott. Mike, uh, no, Tom Allen is going to coach up their defense. Like, Indiana could be pretty good. I don't know if I will necessarily predict them to win nine games. I don't think they'll beat Penn State, but you know what? Why not? It's Indiana. They are. Uh, they should be able to beat Ball State, but Indiana should being able to beat a team means Indiana is going to lose to a team. Uh, yeah. our, our beloved chaos team. Yep. Yeah, but now... The chaos is different they're, now. They haven't been chaos team in yeah. multiple years. They're they're more like uh, I'm gonna think about a better analogy. And I'll get back to you. They they still have an element of chaos to them, but it it's in like a twenty to thirteen loss and not in a forty nine to forty seven loss. Actually, it's, I, all right, it's I got chaos. I got it. I got it. Do you guys watch New Girl? No, no. Oh, damn it. Right, well, then my analogy won't work. Well, there went that. Uh, I'm still going to explain it at the end anyway. Oh, go for it. Okay. All right. So one of the characters on New Girl's name is Winston. He And one of the things about him is he's terrible at pranking because that, he either goes way too big, like, uh, like he signs another character up to be like a registered sex offender, or he goes way too small and he like one of his pranks, like he puts a blueberry in somebody's cereal or he like puts dust near somebody's car. They Indiana went from being too big of pranksters to too small of pranksters. It's still a prank. It's still chaos, but it's not. It's not the same. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a. I think that's a pretty fair analogy. Uh, next up, four p.m. on Fox Stanford Stadium, uh, Northwestern, heading out to play the Trees. Stanford is a six-point favorite over under. Of forty-seven. If I know Northwestern, under, for, uh, under, yes, very obviously. 
if I know Northwestern as well as I do, they're going to put up a really good fight in this game uh, against a really good Stanford team on the road. Uh, and then they're going to have a bye week, and then they're going to lose at home to UNLV. Uh, that is exactly what I was going to say. Okay. Uh, Matt, are you going to agree? Well, actually, you know what? They're, uh, they got Hunter Johnson under center, don't they? Yeah, but... Former, former future Nittany Lion, Hunter Johnson. Former future Nittany Lion. I was listening to the Audible this week, and they, Bruce Feldman was talking about the lack of success that former five-star quarterbacks often have when transferring, with the notable exception being, um, I think... I Justin think they're, Fields. Well, maybe Justin Fields, but the big, the big recent one being Kyler Murray. Uh, but then they they were brainstorming, and I think they had to go all the way back to oh god, I can't remember. It was it was somebody who was before even recruiting rankings were a thing. It's just like that he would have been a five star type thing. Um, so I, don't, I I I am very I'm both Josh Jackson at Maryland and Hunter Johnson at Northwestern. I'm super super interested to see. I mean, I... And it's a little concerning that Hunter Johnson didn't just win the job outright, I will say. I mean, I would also push back and say that, you know, Shea, I, I think Shea Patterson has been pr- pretty good at Michigan, and he's more been hamstrung by circumstance than anything, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, that's fair, too, yeah. It, it, is there anything that you would like to add on this game, Matt? Uh, other if, than if other than hammer that under. 20, <laughs> then uh, it's a huge upset. They, they, didn't they play a year or two ago in Evanston and it was like nine to six or something terrible they like play, that? They play every year. You, I swear, this is the first Northwestern game every year. Uh, it's either them or Duke. It's it's like the nerd ball. Well, Northwestern started with Purdue and then Duke last year. Uh, I'm looking because I do remember them playing. Stanford somewhat recently. They absolutely they beat Stanford to start the year. Yeah, in 2015. It, it was an 11. It was an 11 a.m. Or so I guess. Yeah, it was 11 a.m. Central Time. So they made they made Stanford go across the country and play an 11 a.m. Central game. <sighs> yeah. As an aside, uh, Northwestern won that game 16 to six. Woo! Stanford kicked a field goal in the first quarter, and they kicked a field goal in the fourth quarter, and that was it. Stanford let Christian McCaffrey touch the football 17 times. Justin Jackson touched it 30. For <laughs> I, I remember watching that game. There was nothing else on because it was you know that that first Saturday noon slate. It was just I don't know how Northwestern got to 16. There had to be some sort of like horrible atrocity committed or something. Whoever's- Justin Jackson is the original Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Although I get, I guess Justin Jackson is just derivative of other Wisconsin running backs, though. So yeah. Uh, moving on, seven thirty p.m. BTN, uh, and um, we're heading to Ann Arbor, Michigan, hosting Middle Tennessee. Uh, Michigan, 34.5 point favorites. Line is 54.5. Um, over-under is 54.5. I would not be surprised if Michigan hits that over by themselves. I think they're going to try and come out and do... You know, really, no, Bill, do we know who's calling plays? Well, here's, or here's what, what, I was, what the offense is going to be. Here's what I was going to say. Have they talked about that? I think they're going to let... Spread uh, HD? <laughs> <laughs> they better... Better, better, better. Let Josh Gaddis call every single. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I would. I don't think any of us would be surprised if Harbaugh becomes a total sociopath sometime and steals play calling duties away. Uh, he better let Gaddis call every single play that happens in this game. And I, they better. They also should probably just run the four verts play every single play, considering who they have at receiver and who they have at running back. Neither here nor there. Uh, By the end of this season, I want Gaddis to also take credit for calling the defense. <laughs> Only the good plays, though. All the good plays were his idea. <laughs> Correct. Uh, hey, speaking of uh, Josh Gaddis' good play calling, we end the night with a little Kinnick magic. Uh, if I was better at audio, I would put Careless Whisper in there, but just imagine it just played. Uh, 7.30 p.m. kick, FS1, Iowa hosting Miami of Ohio. Uh, Iowa's 21.5-point favorite over under of 46. Um Here's the deal with Iowa, okay? 
They start their season, uh, Miami of Ohio and Rutgers at home. Um, Even if they win both of those games, spiritually, they're going to lose one of them. And I think it's probably going to be that Miami of Ohio game. Like, they'll win it. They'll just win it like 14 to 6, and nobody will feel particularly good about it. Um,. I, I just looked yeah. up. Miami was one of those teams, and I was I was a kid growing up in Ohio. It was one of those teams that was usually like pretty decent-ish by max standards. They've been terrible for a long time. Their their most wins any in the last since uh, 2011. They won 10 in 2010. Since then, they have won four, four, zero, two, three, six, five, and six. Well, Matt, Matt, I, I think there's... That sounds like improvement. There, stop, stop. There's an important piece of context that you're uh, forgetting to add to that, which is that one of those years where they won six, uh, they started that season by losing six, and then they ended it by winning six. And then That they, is true. They lost, they lost their ball game. Uh, to Mississippi State by one point in St. Petersburg. Um, yeah, I don't remember that. I just remember they lost the ball game, but... <laughs> but I, <laughs> momentum is real. Uh, momentum is very real until you run into a Dan Mullen coach team, uh, at which point, as Miami showed us, um, your offensive line will be rendered moot. Um, yeah, I, there's there's no way that you should watch a single second of that Iowa Ohio Miami of Ohio game, even for like, even if you're trying to get away with saying like, oh, I'm just scouting for one Penn State. No, don't don't do that. You can watch. There's no way this game isn't like three points and like halfway through the fourth quarter, right? Correct. Oh, it's going to be real bad. It's going to be a close game, but close does not necessarily equal good. No, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be like 17, 14 Iowa with like eight minutes left. And they'll, they'll go on like a nine minute field goal drive. Yeah. To, to ice something the game. like that. I mean, you watch, watch Oregon and Auburn instead. That's going to be a fun game. Georgia has to go to Vandy. Do you know what happens when uh, you have to go to Vandy at seven thirty PM of the opening week of the season? Nothing good. It's going to be way more entertaining than having to watch this Iowa game. Uh, let's see. There's no other good football on Saturday. It's really a shame. Uh, is, there, is there a good 3 o'clock SEC game? Uh, Alabama-Duke. Washington. So isn't there... I feel like there's at least one more. Isn't there at least one more game that's decent? I... Oh, this, this late... <clears throat> I mean, Thursday night, <laughs> Thursday night, Utah has to go to BYU. Uh, that's going to be good. Uh, we, we got Oklahoma-Houston on Sunday. There's going to be like a 1,000 points scored in that one. That's yeah. what I was thinking of. Houston can't stop anyone, but they sure as hell can score, especially with Holgo there. That's uh, going to be so much fun. I, I, I forgot that Holgo's there. Like Over under 79 and a half. Uh, wow, this... The top 25 slate is atrocious. Yeah, Texas, Louisiana Tech, Wazoo, Notre Dame, Louisville, Wazoo, New Mexico State. That'll be that'll be. Is there any just inexplicable road games? Oh no, the inexplicable road game of Syracuse going to Liberty. Oh, that's no. Why would you do that? D, uh, I actually I saw Dino like. I saw him the other day, which is at a coffee shop that's across from City Hall here in Syracuse, and two buses pulled out, and the Dino Babers held the door open for a bunch of people. It was lovely. Uh, the, the the Monday night game is Notre Dame does go to Louisville, who I don't think is going to be very good, but you know we've got got road action for well, well, an overrated well, Notre Dame team. Well, Matt, do you recall uh, earlier in this podcast where I said that uh, for Paul Petrino being the other brother isn't a bad thing? Well, I, I do. This Louisville team is exactly why I said that. Uh, Louisville's probably going to be real, real bad. Uh, I think we forget just how bad they were last year. Do you remember? They how were bad they one were? and eleven against the spread. They were two and ten just in general. Ah. Here's here is how Louisville ended its season after a twenty a gritty twenty eight twenty four loss to Florida State. Ready? A sixty six to thirty one loss to the Bees. 38 to 20 loss to Boston College, 56 to 51 loss to Wake, and then 77 to 16 to Clemson, 54 wow. 23 to Syracuse, 52 10 to NC State, 56 10 to Kentucky. Uh, their leading passer against NC State and Kentucky was the same guy. He had 90 yards in the first game and 64 in the second. God. 
Who did that? And those, the spreads for those games were like 45 points, too. Like, they were huge oh, spreads. No. And no. they still... Wait, they hired Scott Satterfield? Oh, my... How? Yeah. How did they hire someone good? Money. Even How did mo- Baylor get Matt Rule? It's that Papa John's money. Well, well, I don't think I don't think the Papa has much money anymore. Uh, what is Scott Satterfield? He's definitely still got money. What is Satterfield making? Oh my God! Yeah, I will. Uh, that that's not a public record. Damn. Right. Good for Scott. Let's, let's finish this up. I gotta try a. I gotta try an Impossible Burger for the first time. Ooh, good luck with that. Um, and good luck to all of you who've decided to suffer through yet another edition of our very stupid podcast. Um, usual spiel goes here. Uh, yeah, I can't think of anything else to add other than college football's back. Congratulations to everyone on making it through the long and dark and not fun offseason. Uh, for my co-host, Matt DeBear, my co-host, Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Bye.